Welcome to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is an inspirational talk that I can't wait for you to hear. It's not a secret that many creative people feel that validation could be elusive to the point where you ask yourself, why am I doing this? But what if the answer was to better understand yourself, and that understanding could be its own form of validation? This is what London-based rapper Kay Young has experienced with making music. Throughout the last few years, she's released a body of work that feels like a living diary, due to how candid she is in sharing her experiences with her family, friends, and career aspirations. But don't get it twisted, for as confessional as Kay's music is, it's never dour. In fact, it's the exact opposite. There's this relentless energy within her songs that are oh so brightly clever. So clever, in fact, that she ended up being noticed by Jay Electronica and Jay-Z, leading Kay to be signed to Rock Nation. Not bad for a South London girl who felt unsure about where things were going in her career. Again, that's such a major part of today's talk, how there was a time where, despite Kay's passion, she felt that music wasn't working and had to figure out how to punch against that glass cage. We also explore the role that family plays in her creativity and why it's crucial to have empathy for our inner child. I should mention that most of our chat is centered around Middle Matters, a stellar EP that Kay released last year. Since then, she's released a new EP called This Here Feels Good, which is out now. Be sure to check that out after our chat. Also be sure to sign up for the newsletter over at newexchangepod.com so you won't miss out on future episodes. This is the new exchange of Kay Young. Enjoy. You know, this is one of those talks that's been a long time coming because, you know, your music has made this pandemic so much more bearable for me, I have to say. So first off, I need to thank you for that. Oh, man. Thank you for listening, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Like, and, you know, we're going to go deep into your music in this talk. But before we do, you know, the first thing I want to bring up to you is like how I think it's really incredible how often family tends to come up within your lyrics. And Mm -hmm. I mean, with that, it's clear to me how important family is to you. But can you talk to me a bit about the people in your family who've inspired you over the years? Because I think the way you do that is very beautiful. Yeah. My late grandma, so my grandma on my mum's side who passed away, she would probably have to be like the biggest inspiration um, in terms of giving me a stable foundation or, yeah, giving me a foundation to kind of build upon as I've talked about in uh, going through. But, you know, in terms of my faith and just the way that she raised us, do you know what I mean? I was always there, um, weekends or staying over, and just just to listen to her talk about, you know, her history and where she came from and what it was like growing up in Jamaica and then moving over to England and stuff, it kind of gives you a bit of a um insight into you you then kind of remove yourself from your life and you put yourself in somebody else's shoes and, and sorry, I do go on a bit, Ken. <laughs> no, it's more than okay. That's what a podcast yeah. for, so it's all right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it made me just appreciate, you know, what she had done, what she had left in terms of Jamaica coming over to England and, you know, raising a family and, and doing better for herself and, you know, giving us a, a position to, to grow and, and to build upon. Do you know what I mean? So, my grandma, my mom as well, my dad, just, you know, they're the core people that have really influenced my life. I think yeah. what's so striking about what you just mentioned about your grandmother is that, um, like, so we're recording this at like the middle of the summer and Dave just released his new album. And yeah. I forget the name of the song, but there's a lyric in one of his recent songs where he's talking about like how 
he felt like it was so poignant how um, Jamaican immigrants came to Britain to build Britain, but then ended up getting broken by them. And when yeah. you think about that context of like the resiliency that came through that, I think mm-hmm. that's something that's particularly very profound and just like getting to witness that and then taking it within your own life as something that's yeah. just beyond, yeah? Yeah, it's, it's, it's true because obviously they were sold alive, do you know what I mean? Families that came over in a wind rush, they were sold alive, you know, come to England, you know, you'll have a great life, you know. And it was literally, you know, it helped to build our country up and then we don't want to know about you. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of yeah. people came over disheartened. There weren't any houses. and Obviously, racism was um, still is rife. But back then, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, like my grandma was a very strong woman, very, like I said, resilient. And I've definitely taken on that uh, trait from her as well. Just determination and never give up. <laughs> do you only hear something hilarious, actually? Because before I hit the recorder, I mentioned how... Um... I grew up in um, London a bit when I was a kid. And you know what? I haven't actually had a chance to bring this up in a long time. But mm-hmm. when I was like around 10 and uh, would interact with Americans more, I would only ever get asked two questions. Like as a little 10-year-old kid from like, uh, like people who are my age, a little bit older, I would get asked one, do you know the queen? Mm-hmm. Like always, somehow, like have you met the queen? And two, I, I would get asked, um, is there racism in the UK? Yeah. And like as a 10-year-old, it's like, I remember I would say yes, but it was always like not being able to understand the full scope of the context. But mm-hmm. it's very strange that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true because it's funny. If I go over to the States now, they're like, oh, have you ever met the Queen? Or <laughs> I, live, I live like 10 minutes from Greenwich, like an old house. They're like, they're mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you live so close. <laughs> I get asked if there are a lot of black people in, in um, England or London. It's weird, isn't it? How people yeah different places. I get, I get, I got used to get asked that in college if there's black people in England. I remember thinking, like, I mean, we're in like 2010 at the time. I was like, there's Google. You could Google that. Oh, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like a, another beautiful, consistent thread within your music is the strong sense of quality, both within like the lyrics and like the sonics. And I feel like what comes through is that the quality is so high, and it feels like you have this standard where you need to treat every song the same way with the same level of importance. And I think what's interesting is like, that's kind of shockingly rare in music. How important do you feel that word is quality to you? Like what thoughts do you kind of comes to your mind when you hear it? Quality, oh, that's a good question. I love this. Um, I don't know, I think there's a, it's so funny because when I make the music, I, I make it, I don't necessarily think about it. So when I get to talk to people like yourselves and you know, other people that are fan of my music, I get to actually think, oh my gosh, is that what I really did? Just hearing it through you. But I think what kind of penetrates through my music is the authenticity. And I think that creates a level of quality in terms of it's very honest. And um, you know, I've been making music for a very long time and I have high standards in terms of what I was growing up um, listening to. Do you know what I mean? And I always think I'm going to make music as dope as Prince, as dope as Michael Jackson, as dope as Steve Wonder, Pink Floyd. Do you know what I mean? I want to have that level... I want my music to be able to sit in all different sort of platforms. You know what I mean? Um, so for me, it's when I create, it's almost like I have to give it my best. Like, this is going to be the last track I ever do. Do you know what I mean? If I'm going to do something, it's going to be amazing. So it's constantly just trying to top the next track, top the next track. I'm always trying to challenge myself. That track was dope, but guess what? I'm going to make something better. You know? So I think that's what it is for me, just being able to top what I did the last time. So I think that's what, consistency and people that are successful successful and, and 
remain at the top is because they're just constantly bettering what they've done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, so just not limiting yourself. I don't limit myself at all. You know, it's yeah. interesting, yeah? And I mean this respectfully. Mm-hmm. It's interesting knowing that that element kind of drives how you go about making music. But within the mm-hmm. music itself, it like, it never sounds like you're chasing something, you know? It sounds like you're existing in a space where you're very much trying to showcase different sides of yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like there's this, like, because um, I think it's fair to say, like, objectively in the music world, there tends to be this idea of, like, the next step, the next step. And a mm-hmm. lot of times people find it where they, um, what's that analogy? It's kind of like the carrot in front of the horse. And mm-hmm. I feel like what's interesting about your music, it's kind of like sidestepping the carrot. It's like, no, I'm going to, like, do my thing. Like. Yeah. And I, and I think that just comes from being authentic. Do you know what I mean? So as much as... You know, I do have that level of like, okay, this track is dope. I'm going to make something that's better than that. I think, you know, when it's so, when it's authentic and it's coming from an honest place, I think that kind of sets it apart. Do you know what I mean? It kind of, yeah. you can hear it. When I listen to music, I might not necessarily have to like it, but if I can hear it's authentic and it's coming from an honest place, I respect it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess when I do approach making a song, I don't put that pressure on myself in terms of, oh, it's got to sound dope or, but I just, it's, it's almost like stretching yourself. I, I stretch myself. I'll be like, okay, cool. I wasn't able to do that on the last track. I'm going to try and do it on this one. So yeah, it's just constantly just trying to better myself with each song that I do. Yeah. And I, I mean, that beautifully comes across, honestly. And you know, before we get into your songs, I do have to ask about um, Jay-Z and Jay Electronica because it's funny how, like, with the way podcasts are structured, people have just heard an intro where I mentioned them in the context of you, and they're listening now, and they're probably thinking, like, wait, what? Like, they still have that, like, <laughs> resounding what <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throughout yeah. these, like, first couple minutes. So the story goes that Jay Electronica got in touch with you, mm-hmm. and he said he had something to show you, and that something was a conversation he had with Jay-Z about your music. Yeah. I'm sure loads of people have asked you about how it felt to experience that. And that's mm-hmm. not exactly what I want to ask you. Instead, I wanted to explore for you, how has it been just having access to these two people for advice? Because obviously people are going to think about, you know, that must have an influence on music. But I mean, these are two individuals who have lived lives in a way that like many people won't. And just being able to have a conversation with them, mm-hmm. I feel just gives you a different perspective than you could just, you know, even really imagine. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Jay Electronica, you know, he's very elusive. You know what I mean? He's very elusive. So haven't really able to, been able to have a conversation with him as such, probably around the whole signing and when it all kind of kicked off. But just being affiliated, just knowing that, you know, they felt that I was good enough to kind of sit at the table with them, you know? I met Jay-Z last year at the brunch. Uh. I couldn't even tell you what I said to the man. Like... <laughs> Seriously, like I didn't even prep. Okay, if you see him, Kay, what are you going to say? I just thought if I see him, I'm just going to say something. And I saw an opportunity and I went over to him and I said, thank you about 20 times. And I, <laughs> I, I, it's almost like I don't, I don't know what to say. And he kept saying, right, right, right. Because he could tell I was nervous. And then I think I said, you know, thank you for giving me such an opportunity, like, you know, to change my life. You know, it really has changed my life in terms of giving me that level of confidence because I've always doubted myself. It's something I, I struggle with, doubt. And I think it's one of those things where I've, I've learned to accept that it's something I struggle with, but to just have authority over it because it, it does fuel me. So, but having that 
you know, having somebody vouch for you, like as big as Jay Electronica, as big as uh, Jay-Z and then Rock Nation, it just gave me a level of confidence, like, okay, you are good enough. You know, yeah. just to be surrounded by everybody was, everybody, you name it. And I was thinking, I'm in a room, in a space amongst all these people. And I had to just tell myself, okay, you have every right to be here. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? You have every right, I've, you know, I've been doing this for years, I took time out, but since I was a kid, I've, I've been making music, been on it, do you know what I mean? So I haven't necessarily been able to have like, those conversations with them, but just knowing that I'm affiliated with them and a part of you know, the management team, that is just enough for me to kind of keep me going, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And those conversations are going to happen. It's, a, it's clear like it's a matter of time. And you're obviously referring to the Rockefeller bunch, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. I mean, if there's anyone listening who's unfamiliar, essentially there's like this great brunch that Rockefeller uh, runs. And essentially it, like I would say here in the States for a good like three to four days, it's like the most important thing on social media. Like the photos just make everyone incredibly jealous. Oh, it's bigger than the, it's actually because it's like the pre-Grammy brunch, but it's actually bigger than the Grammys. Do you know what I mean? I've heard that, yeah. It's, when I got there, it was just insane. Yeah. It was, oh man. It, yeah, like, was, like you're saying, like, uh, it's wild the people there, but I think I remember hearing about, like, people like Kevin Hart and, like, yeah. LeBron James and, like, fucking, like, Drake and Big Sean and people like that. Like, yeah. you have people, those types of people. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. people. Everybody's humble. It's not like there's a section for, you know, VIP section. Everybody is in the same space, rubbing shoulders. Like, I'm rubbing shoulders saying, oh, excuse me, trying to get to somewhere to, like, Kevin Hart or Diddy or uh, who else was there? Um, <laughs> DJ Khaled, everyone wow. name it. And it's just like, everybody's in the same space and that humbles you. It's almost like, I have to go away and I've got to be successful. Like it just gives you that fuel like, yeah, I can do this. Do you know what I mean? It's just royalty at its finest, man. That's so beautiful. Like that's yeah. beautiful beyond measure. And like, you know, Funnily enough, I met uh, Jay Electronica very briefly uh, a few years back. We have a festival here in New York called Governor's Ball. And it's okay. interesting. And he performed there, actually, that uh, festival. And what's wild is um, my major takeaway from interacting with him is that he had this really big enthusiasm towards music, but also that I loved how that enthusiasm left from like uh, music into life topics, where it was like in such ease, like the way he would talk about music and life. And he just would talk to everyone the exact same way. Like, I really found myself really impressed by that. Mm, yeah, down to earth. I mean, like I said, I've never met him. I was hoping to meet him at the brunch, but he wasn't there. But I remember I kept on thanking him when the message was like, don't thank me, thank God. That's all he kept on saying. Uh, don't thank me, thank God. And I said, well, I thank God for using you as a vessel because <laughs> that's the only way I could actually get him to accept, you know what I mean? To accept but I was like, thank you. I said, you don't know what, you know, because it all happened he was following me and he's watching my stories i think gosh this guy's stealing like stealing my ideas so i'm thinking <laughs> I'm fish out here like why is he following me um but he must have seen my beat challenges i i don't know but I remember walking home from work and you know he sends me this message i'll show you something promised to uh, show the people closest to you don't put on social media and so i left the message for about half an hour to figure out what this is so I opened it and it was the conversation and I'm walking home and it was just like, I can't believe this. Like from making my music in my room to it getting noticed by Jay Electronica and Jay-Z was like, what? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a celebrity, you know, I'm not 
famous for, you know, when they say it can happen overnight, like my life changed overnight, mentally and just, just everything. Mm. Yeah, because the thing you're saying there mentally, and it, this is like exact, it, it's the major reason why I wanted to like bring this up to you, apart from just me also being a fan of these two, but it's just like, I have a big understanding of just like how existing as a musician could be rough in a way I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate because by the very nature of what you do, you're forced to be in isolation to just work on these songs, even though you're writing about songs about life. You have to like sit with yourself and your thoughts and your feelings. And, you know, just by that alone, it could be tough sometimes to just be with your own thoughts and wonder like, man, if is what I'm doing, like, is it getting across to people? Like, Because you're in so much your own head, yeah? Yeah. I, do you know what, it, the funny thing is, because I wasn't really big on social media, but I took like two years out, I was still producing for other people. I took two years out and when I came back to making music, I became very fearful because social media had changed. Like I'm yeah. thinking, I mean, it's changing every day, but for two years, I was thinking, how on earth do I post this? Like I was messaging my friend, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I became very fearful and I started to hang with a lot of younger people because it's the younger generation that's running this thing. Yeah. And I, I kind of, you know, I'd talk to them and I'd be like, just put it out, put your stuff out. Just, just do it, just do it. That was their mentality. So. I wasn't a fan of social media at the time, but my friend said, look, make it work for you. So I thought, okay, let me do these 30 day beat challenges. And, um, oh my gosh, I've gone, what did you say? <laughs> no, it's okay, no, keep going. Like, cause the um, thing about a podcast is you're, it's, it's more than okay to go off tangent. So don't worry, you can keep going. And I'd love to hear more about the 30 day beat challenges. So yeah, yeah. don't worry. So I started, I started just doing it for me. Like I wasn't even thinking, gosh, are people listening? I was doing it because I needed to do it, I, you know. And it's, it, it became a thing where I didn't care if people heard it or not. It's the fact that I was just doing something repeatedly every day. Even if one person saw it, that was enough for me. So I think sometimes things tend to happen or flow when you literally just do it for the love of it, with no expectations. And that's, that's, what, that's exactly what I was doing. I had no expectations for this thing. I was just putting my stuff out there on yeah. Instagram, coming home from work, making a beat, then performing it on my SP404 and just doing that every day for 30 days. You know, consistency and having that mentality was like, okay, cool. I'm not expecting anything from this. I'm just going to do it. I think that can, that can help to open doors a bit, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, without putting that pressure on yourself again. Yeah, massively. Because, you know, it, it reminds me of, like, the mentality that helps when it comes to, like, even with something like going to the gym. And funnily enough, the, the way you said that just now, it very much is how I approach even this, like, podcast where it's like, the, the act of doing it, you have to show up for yourself before anyone could show up for you in a way. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, you going back to this, you know, I think sometimes when you're creative, there is that road of solitude. You are very much in your own head. I get what you're saying when you say that because it's just you, just you creating. And I think um, I felt like, I don't know, I think lately I've just realized, goodness, it is a lonely road. Like when you're trying to pursue something, it can be very, very lonely because not everybody has the same vision. Or when I'm in a creative space, I tend to, I tend to kind of detach myself from everything. Yeah. And I have to be in that creative space, just me, myself, and I. And it can be very lonely, but it's because you have a bigger dream. Like, yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, a bigger dream that at times doesn't even seem visible to you, but you know it exists. Yeah. Like you have to do it. Yeah. Like, it's something you have to do. It's weird. Like I know I have to do this thing. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know, I've always known that I have to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
That's exactly how I feel. And I mean, you know, what's lovely about the path this conversation is on is that it leads so nicely into the songs I want to ask you about because the first song of yours that I heard was um, Going Through. And I feel like what's so lovely about this song is that it very much reminds me how songs could be conversations. And it's interesting because the conversation within the song is like you kind of talking about your past, the contrast between your past self and your present self. And I wonder, how did going through sit with you after you finished it? Because it's one of those songs where you put so much of yourself within the lyrics. And I think in a way, even a lot of people would even think about doing, you know? Mm. Ah, That's a good question. Because again, I didn't realize how powerful that song would be or how it would be perceived. Like so many people would message me and say, you don't know how the song has helped me. It's helping me or I've lost my grandma. Oh, it made me cry. Like this, all, the messages, all I kept on getting. And I didn't realise, and I guess, you know, obviously during the pandemic and stuff, people had time to really listen. And it was, it was perfect in terms of the timing of it. I mean, it's unfortunate, obviously, the pandemic. But when I finished creating it, how did I feel? Um, I, don't, I don't think I realised how I felt until I wrote that song, until I heard it back. Really? Yeah, I think the music, it's almost like the music was leading me to do it because I remember, I remember creating it. It was, it was very choppy at first, I remember creating it and I just started to write. And yeah, I didn't even know where it was going, but it's, it's, I guess it was something that I had to do and had to get out. I didn't approach it think, saying, okay, I'm going to write about, you know, my late grandma or I'm struggling, I'm still going through, you know. It just, yeah, it just, just came out of me. It's weird. Yeah, You know, I'm not, it's funny, I don't think this has come up in this podcast yet. I'm not exactly proud of saying it, but um, there's definitely been times for me where I'm like, um, like I'll save music that's been sent to me, like on a playlist, and then I'll like go through like an hour listening to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times I'll do that and I'll be like on my phone or I may be half listening. But when I listened to going through like for the first time, it was very um, memorable for me. Because yeah. one of those instances where I was on my phone and I actually had to put the phone down, where I was like, oh, hold on, like, this, this is going on right now. So That's crazy. Do you know what I think gets a lot of people with that song? It's the harmonies. It's Because yeah. uh, I think that's what I did. I think I layered the harmonies first. And then I started writing to the harmonies. And there's just something about those harmonies. People that don't necessarily know music, they always say, you know what you do at the beginning, that, that choir thing. And I think, that I think it just pulls you in. It pulls you in, and then yeah. you've got the bass. Oh, the bass, man! When the bass kicks in, it's like that's one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I'm here for the whole thing. <laughs> I'm here for the whole fucking <laughs> thing. <laughs> it was, you know what? I think musically, it was a journey. I think I never knew what I was doing, but I think musically, it just does this. It does that because it's such a contrast. You've got the harmonies, you've got the bass, and you've got the organ. Then you switch it up. You've got the drums. You know what I mean, it's it's there's no chorus when you think about it. There's no chorus. There's no structure. There's no there's a verse, and I guess a chorus, and that's it. <laughs> wow, I didn't even think about that, but that's a good bit. There yeah. isn't really a chorus, like no. that's so funny. And you know, something else that I noticed when um I was re-listening to going through like recently, and I've found this with like some of your other songs as well, is that you have this interesting fascination with reflecting on your childhood, but particularly with a lens of understanding. And I think that's something that's really left up to me where I think many people struggle. I've done this. I mean, I, I probably still do this, honestly. Like, I think a lot of people can relate to struggling with 
imbuing their younger sense, their younger selves with any sense of um, empathy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, can you tell me about why it's been important for you to do that, especially in the context of your songwriting? Yeah. Um, I think growing up as an adult, you become very fearful. Do you know what I mean? Because you've lived, you've experienced. And, um, you know, when you're a child, you are not fearful. You know, you, you just don't see any harm. You don't really see any danger. You just go for it. And as I've gotten older, I, I became very fearful, doubt myself a lot. And I found myself having to go back to the younger me. Do you know what I mean? To, to almost look back and be like, Kate, you know, Katie is my real name. This is how you used to be. These are the dreams that you used to have. You used to do this about being fearful. Like I used to go into the school playground and perform with no music, just, just rap or just beatbox. And the whole school would come and just listen to me, me and my friends, you know what I mean? Very fearful. But as I've gotten older, I became, not fearful, but as I got older, I became very fearful. And I had to go back to that inner child. You know what I mean? Just have to, just not even being naive or, you know, that innocent, um, I think we bury, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of going around houses, but I think we do, there's certain things that we bury in terms of like our dreams and our ambitions and, you know, you think, okay, I'm an adult now, I can't do this anymore. Do you know what I mean? No, like, do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, skateboard and all these things. People say, no, Kate, you're, you're a big woman now. You, you should be doing all those things. I want to do it. Do you know what I mean? Just live a life. So I tend to go back to my younger self or speak to my nieces or my godchildren because they give me life. Like, I look at them and I'm like, you're the future. Like, they're very, they're not fearful. Do you know what I mean? And I love that about kids. They see the world in a different way. And I think for a moment, if we just have that, it, it just, if you have that for a moment, like, you can do some incredible things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I completely understand what you're talking about because if I think about just, like, you know, it's interesting, like, just by proxy of, like, talking to artists a lot, I mm. think naturally it comes up where we discuss the aspect of, you know, having, like, a creative life versus a non-creative life. But I think something, something that gets missed in that, it's not necessarily just strictly from a professional standpoint, but if mm. you just think the functionality of a everyday adult life, and, I mean, I don't even feel like it's unique for me to say this. I can even think of, like, maybe even, like, random Pixar films that depict this, where it's kind of like, you imagine like people, you know, just walking on the street normally and it's like that doe do and it's all like gray and dour. And it's just like, it's a representation about like how there's so many facets of adult life that make you smaller to conform to just everything around you. Yeah, no, you're right. You're so true. I think sometimes we stop being a child and become a, we become an adult so quick. Do you know what I mean? Like the transition, it just happens so quick. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we lose a bit of ourselves in that transition so I think going back to it I think a lot of people are starting to go back to their inner child or just to revisit things or do you know what I mean starting to search themselves or there's something that they you know struggling with sometimes you just have to go back do you know what I mean yeah just go back and also have the understanding that even though that word adult seems so much something set in stone so firm but yeah. at the end of the day, it really is like being an adult is your own interpretation. It's what you figure it out to be. Yeah, very true. And, you know, I should also say that there's a striking music video for going through um, that people should check out. And I think what really sticks out throughout the video is that the humanity conveyed within that video is something that's really special. Yeah, that was directed by Dylan Hay. Shout out to Dylan. Um, he had the um, 
that David Hockney idea with the, the split screens and stuff. Yeah. Very, very, very fitting for the song. Like it was it was such an easy video to do. It's like two camera two cameramen, him and um away uh, Morgan and it was just such an easy shoot such oh. an easy shoot um but yeah I think it kind of for me I think the video has to go hand in hand with the song and I, they both complemented each other very very well they really do it's really something special and um the next song I need to bring up to uh bring up to you and I have to say thanks for it because honestly it's been really nice to have and that song is giving thanks because I think what's really beautiful about this song is that it's completely devoid of any posturing. And again, seeing you have so much empathy towards your life is something that I feel transcends the song. And I mean, the part where you're singing to your mom, that, man, that hits me. Like, it hits me every time. I think, um, you know what it is? Um, you know, when I was writing the project Middle Matters, I was having a lot of conversations with my friends. And, you know, when you get to a certain age, or, you, you know, you think you would have, been in a you know in a better place by a certain age whether it's a mortgage kids marriage and you know I was having a lot of conversation with my friends because none of us are really in that situation do you know what I mean and yeah. it's just almost accepting it's okay to not have it all together it's okay if you're not married if you're not, not in a relationship you're still living at home like myself like it's that doesn't mean you're a bad person or that you're not you know you're not going to get there it's just accepting where you are do you know what i mean and knowing that you know you're no longer where you used to be you're not where you want to be but you're you're, you're getting there do you know what i mean so yeah. it kind of goes back to the title middle matters that's why that middle part of your life where i felt like i was at the time where it's almost it's painful because that's where you do the most growing the middle position is uncomfortable you know the middle finger the middle child it's it's <laughs> an uncomfortable feeling but that's where you do most of the growing and i felt like i was there i felt like you know, like I said, I was no longer where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be. I'm just in that middle bit where it's almost so testing. You want to throw the towel in, but it's almost like if you keep keep going, just persevere, you'll get there. So I just felt like giving thanks, going back to giving thanks, it was just being grateful for where I was. Do you know what I mean? Just being grateful for, you know, the people around me, the fact that I haven't got it together, but I'm getting there and celebrating that, just celebrating the small steps and it just humbled me as well. I, I listen to that song till this day to get me through certain things because it's, you know, whatever it is you're going through, I find if you just give thanks for what you do have, it, what you don't have just becomes very small. Do you know what I mean? And it becomes less of a focus or less of a problem. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love knowing that you listen to it sometimes because I know that for a lot of artists, sometimes they like put a song out there and then, just by the nature of like how strenuous it could be to even write and record a song it's like they put it out there and they don't even think about it anymore but i think mm. it's lovely because it shows it could proactively show you a snapshot of like where you were and where you're going and i, I think that's really there's something profound in that mm. yeah it, it does get me through it really does it's um again it's one of those songs where i wrote it and i didn't realize what i was doing and then listen it it's so funny when I, when I create music, I just create it, but I hear it back through other people like yourselves. It's, it's weird. In oh. terms of knowing what it's done for you, it makes me want to revisit a song. Do you know what I mean? And I hear it through different eyes. It's, it's, music is powerful, man. It's really powerful. And you know, <laughs> it's wild because that experience you mentioned about like how, you know, you were talking to friends recently. I had something kind of similar and it kind of harkens to what you were saying even earlier on where, 
I saw some friends recently, like um, just this past weekend, and um, we're just talking about life stuff. And I was sharing a lot of thoughts that I've been having lately about just like how the next couple of years are going to look and things like that. And I remember I caught myself within that, realizing that my tone was very fearful. And yeah. it made me realize that, wow, there's a lot of things in the context of life that I'm fearful of, but mm-hmm. here projecting it to another human makes you almost more aware of it, where it's like, like my knee-jerk reaction was like, I'm not fucking afraid of things. But then it's like, I'm listening to myself. I'm like, well, clearly I am. Like, like I can't <laughs> hide from it. <laughs> but, that's, but that's courage, though. I think sometimes... Um, Joyce Meyer says, you know, you've got to do it afraid. That is courage. You know I mean, there's a lot of things that you want to achieve, but the steps towards it are very, you know, very scary. But the fact that you're doing it anyway, that's courage. Do you know what I mean? And I think you've got to, got to give it to yourself, man. There's certain things I do, I'm scared. Like, every time I step on the stage, I get very nervous. I get scared. But I do it anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. courage. Well, I'm definitely going to spend the next couple of months bottling up what you just said and remembering that. That's a good thing about a podcast. I can listen back to what you just said and be like, <laughs> She's talking about me. Okay, good. <laughs> um, you mentioned um, Middle Matters and that, you know, the last two songs I mentioned are part of that EP and you put that out last year. And what I found so profound about this body of work is how even while we're in the midst of this global pandemic, you not only put out music, but I think it's really profound that you put out music that reflects who you are and what you've been through in a very realized way. And I wonder, do you feel like crafting Middle Matters made you aware about a different side of yourself. I mean, you kind of touched upon that with giving thanks, but do you kind of feel like a lot of things you learned you wouldn't have had without these songs? I think so, because it's almost like therapy. It was, it was therapy. I didn't realize I was feeling certain things until I, until I started putting it out. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost the music did the, you know, the music was a therapist. Music did the pulling and I just started writing and I didn't realize I was feeling that way or, was in that place until I, I pull it out and it's funny because you don't realize there's so many people that are in the same sort of situation but don't really speak about it do you know what I mean oh completely just just you know haven't got it all together um and as a woman as well you know there's a certain level of pressure that's put on us in terms of kids time ticking I just think being that voice for the unspoken, I think it really, it was powerful. You know, had a, like I said, I had a lot of people messaging me saying, thank you for being honest and speaking your truth. And I never realized how, uh, I'm a very closed person, very, very, very close person. So I think for me putting that out and then friends hearing it, they're like, oh my gosh, okay, I didn't even know that's what you was going through or, do you know what I mean? So it became a diary situation that everybody had access to, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I probably wouldn't have known that was going, it probably would have just been buried, buried with me. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, it's, that just makes it more powerful that, you know, these songs exist really. And, you know, I think what's really significant to what you're speaking about, I feel like I could speak to it in the context of having lived in New York for a long time and having lived in London. And I almost want to say it's like a metropolitan thing. I mean, yeah. I've, I've lived in small towns and I feel like I haven't seen this as much, but I think what's interesting is that people look at like metropolitan cities, even places like, you know, your Chicago's and your LA. And it's like, there's this aspirational aspect of like going to these places and making it. But I think the weird flip side of the coin is that you do tend to find yourself feeling as though you have to outwardly project this feeling of, I have it together, even though if you don't, and it could be very, 
draining where it's like you could be going through so much like you're saying and like you almost feel like you can't share it with people like yeah i think that's it that's a cultural thing as well we're not really good at you know we're getting better but in terms of speaking about issues or you know therapy and stuff like that it takes yeah it does take a, a brave person to be like you know what <laughs> i haven't got this figured out i'm not okay do you know what i mean it takes a very very you know that's that's a strong move right there and people don't realize it. it's very very brave do you know what i mean yeah, um, well, your music's brave man yeah thank you <laughs> The next song I wanted to bring up is um, White Teeth. And I mean, God, this song, like the definition of this song is, you know, poignant because you're speaking your truth, but anyone who's Black, whether they're in New York or London or Tokyo or wherever, it's a song that we can relate to as Black people because the perspective of the song is that of an innocent child having to recognize the realities of the world we live in and how racism is a very real thing. It's like, you enter this world and sometimes words come into your orbit that seem very abstract, but something that's very unique growing up black is that I feel like racism is a word that I learned about from very raw life experience. It's a word, you know, it's fascinating. It's a word that I understood the meaning of before someone had to explain it to me. And I think a lot of black Mm. people can relate to that. So I mean, I feel like you would have had endless ideas when it came to crafting uh, White Teeth. So yeah. how was it finalizing the song within the songwriting process? Like, have the, Yeah. So I made, a, I was creating this song. And I just remember just, I remember just thinking there's a lot of space in it. There's a lot of space for me to really tell a story, but in a childlike way. And then the chorus, White Teeth. I just remember saying it. I think it was just, you know what it was? I think I just had the chorus, white teeth. I just remember it sounds like a sample. It sounds very British and, you know, it sounds like a sample. And I think, yeah, that's it. Sorry. Yeah. I think I wrote the chorus, white teeth. Or just, I just said that. And then that kind of gave me the idea to talk about the colour of my skin. But I, again, I did it in a childlike way, like, you know, my white teeth is my superpower. Everybody has white teeth. Everyone has teeth. It's almost like, you know, well, that's my superpower, white teeth. So going back to being a child of, you know, how a child looks out into the world in such an innocent way, not realising, you know, what they're going to face, because the colour of their skin, you know, thinking, okay, their white teeth is going to be enough to get them through. So the verse is very serious and very kind of hard-hitting in a childlike way, but then the chorus... It's a very deep song, but I wanted to kind of deliver it in a light-hearted way where it hits you even more, to the point where it's very catchy. You start singing it and you'd be like, oh my gosh, that, this is what she's saying, do you know? Yeah. Has that song, I mean, I feel like I naturally know the answer. And um, <laughs> I mean, I was curious about how I was going to ask this, but I guess I should just ask it very directly because, you know, like naturally, I'm sure you have like some white friends or white fans who have wanted to talk to you about the song and ask questions about it. Because so much of what you're singing about, again, is so obvious to us as Black people. But I am aware that there are white people who hear this song and think, I did not know it felt this way to exist as a Black person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You know, honestly, I have white friends in there. You know, we have these conversations. Hasn't really been a problem with them at all. They've been very much aware of it. But... I've had some of like my black friends say, oh, like, I can't believe you said that. Like, you've got white friends. I'm like, oh. you know what I mean? It's almost like, 
do you know what I mean? We talk about these things, but I think it, I think it yeah. did shock quite a few listeners. I, I, do you know what? I, I'm assuming it shocks a lot of listeners because you don't really hear people say, you know, you've got to work twice harder than your white friend. You don't really hear that. And I remember when I was yeah. right thinking, oh, should I really say this? If you can hear, I'm going to say the damn thing. But um, yeah, no, I, it hasn't really caused a riff or anything. Yeah. I, no, that, I did think, oh gosh, this is going to be a backlash. I'm thinking, you know what? Sure. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, no, I, I, I guess it's like, um, I should like rephrase it a little bit. I didn't necessarily mean like a riff, but just like, yeah. I think like, um, do you know what's fascinating? I think about like a film like Get Out, for example, right? And mm-hmm. I think like the reaction people had to that film was interesting where it forced some people's eyes open in a way yeah. where they didn't want their eyes to be open. Not even in a yeah. negative way, but in a very like almost um, reactionary way. You know? Yeah. You know, what, you know what? I think the song is very powerful. This is why the song is very powerful and you've just set yourself a cough. But I think when you listen to the song, it's almost like you're listening to a child and you're seeing a child. Yes. If you want to, if you want to shock people, or, sorry, whenever I have dreams, there's always a child in my dream because it's almost like that kind of, I pay more attention to it. It's weird. So I think when you listen to White Teeth, it's almost like you're listening to a child and it's almost like you have so much empathy, more empathy because you're listening to a child yeah. say this. You know what I mean? And I think that's why it's kind of hit a lot of people because it's almost like, child is so innocent but yet they're going to face so much adversity because of their skin so i think because i've delivered it as though it's a child singing it to you it just makes people wake up a bit more i've had people at dj say gosh you know it made me laugh and it made me cry do you know what i mean because it's almost like i'm listening to my niece or my nephew tell me what they're going to face or just i I don't yeah it's a weird one it's a weird one sorry i just had no (laughs) Of course, no. I mean, it's beautiful the way you put that. I think what's so profound and just the way you said that too, which is so important, is that like, if you just think about the way people talk about like politics, for example, and like internet, like comment sections and stuff, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the reason why it gets so like uh, full of vitriol is that sometimes people are very quick to dismiss another adult's ideas and perspectives where it's very much like if it's framed in the concept context of two adults it's easy to just be like, oh, are you sure you have the right thought? Are you sure you have the right feelings, whatever? But like you just said, and I think that is the power of the song, if something's con- if a child is conveying something to you, if you're a decent person, an objective person, there should mm-hmm. be this innate form of empathy that comes out that makes you question like, oh, wow, maybe I do have it wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, spawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what's lovely is that it's interesting, like, because 2020 and 2021 has been, you know, hard for many musicians. But I do have to say that, you know, your output has been a prime example to me of, like, how artists can take a time like this and make it their own. Like, again, with the way you put out middle matters and also continue to put out singles that reflect who you are, to mm-hmm. me, has been nothing short of impressive, honestly. It's been really beautiful. Thank you, man. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and, and, um... I know it might be hard to answer since we're still living in this weird pandemic thing, even though some people in the world think we're not, but like, it will be interesting because this is going to be coming out in the late autumn. It'll be interesting to see if like in autumn time, if it's still a dumpster fire as it is in the summer. But um, (laughs) I wonder, like, do you feel putting out music throughout the pandemic has changed how you view your career as a musician in any way? Yeah, I think it made me realize I... as, as strange as it sounds, and you know, I don't want to come out in a weird way, but 
I thrive off it. It's almost like um, us going into lockdown and stuff. It's almost like I had to, whatever's thrown at me, it's almost like I'm still able to create. I didn't realise in terms of, you know, there's so much crazy stuff going on, you know, lockdown, isolation and stuff. Just being able to deliver something really good. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like, I feel like I'm at my best when there's a lot against me. Not being able to perform the EP as such. You know, people could only really listen to it from just streaming. And I felt like I was at my best during that time. But I think it's because I just threw myself into it because I didn't want to kind of, it's almost like I had to create a world to escape the world that we was living in. And that world ended up being the middle matters in the new project I've got out now. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's felt like, you know, God forbid if we were to go into another lockdown again, just knowing that I'll be okay because I have the music to go to and to create. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes complete sense to me because, you know, obviously it's like, it, I, I understand like um, almost like the confusion and like navigating the, like, the ideas you want to put across because it's like, you never want to say that adversary, like having like, you know, things in your way and like, you know, making things difficult. You never want to say like, that's like something that's helpful. But in a lot of ways it is where it's like, you know, I think sometimes that underdog mentality being able to internalize that it could be helpful because it almost allows you to surprise yourself more than other people. That's it. It's, that's it. It's just knowing I was able to tune out of all of that, not get distracted by any of that and to tune in, channel in into, you know, my creativity. Nina Simone says it, you know, not that I was talking about, you know, she said you can't be an artist at the time and not talk about what's going on around you. Because Middle Matters, I kind of created that before the pandemic. I created that towards the end of 2019. That was finished. Oh, wow. And it just so happened that it just had to be relevant. You know, it was, it was so relevant for 2020. But, um, you know, I, I think as an artist, I know some artists did struggle with 2020 with not being able to create and stuff. I know a lot of people did struggle. But touch wood, you know, thank God, I was able to still keep going, you know? No, completely. And, you know... Before we go, I want to ask you about one more song, and that's uh, that song is "Change." And I mean, the song starts with you reflecting on um, George Floyd's murder a year later, but it goes deeper into how we as a society are complicit in the continuation of this disease that we call racism. And I mean, hand on heart, hearing that meant a lot to me because that's something I've felt for a very long time, and I think it reminds me of like how music functions as a way of like helping you make sense of ideas and feelings that you have that even you as an, a person mm. don't have the words for. And um, the messaging within change is so potent and honest. And I think it's really interesting how, you know, there's no questions to ask in regards to the lyrical content of the song. I love that when that happens. But instead, I want to know, what are your hopes about having a song like this exist within the world, out, just outside of artistic expression? I think it's a song where it will continue to challenge people. Do you know what I mean? It will, even myself, am I doing enough within my community as well? But for as long as it's out there, it will ever and continue to challenge people. What am I doing? Am I doing enough? Am I speaking up? Am I saying no, that is wrong? Do you know what I mean? So I think it's, it's a reminder. It's almost like a, a reminder that comes up every day or every, you know, every week. What are we doing to make a change? Do you know what I mean? So it's reflecting and again, making people think, what are we doing? Yeah, what are we doing to make a change, you know? Um, 
and it's, yeah it's very raw it's very honest I didn't kind of leave anything out on that one I mean I could have said more but um yeah it's just a song that we we all need to be challenged in, in different certain ways I think that song will challenge people continuously challenge people you know but racism I don't believe racism will ever go will always be there always be there but I feel like over time it can be reduced <laughs> yeah. you know what's funny so it's just interesting to hear you say that at the end there I feel the exact same way I would be curious to hear just on a personal level for me, how, like, because I imagine that's a sentiment you've shared with other people. How has it been sharing that with other people? Do you feel like sometimes people don't get it? Because the times I've said that, I've definitely had friends ask me why I think that, where is that coming from? What do you mean? And it's like... You know what? There's good and evil. Do you know what I mean? There's, I believe in good and I believe in evil. I believe the two will always exist. And for as long as those two will exist, racism will exist. Do you know what I mean? I think you cannot completely, people have free will. People have their own thoughts, their own way of thinking. They look at the world in different ways. And I don't think you're able to change. You can't change everybody. You can't. People have to be willing to make that change for themselves. So I just do, I believe, you know, it's, you're going to have people that will continuously have that way of thinking. Do you know what I mean? It's not going to be eradicated by a song or by, you know, an activist, it will, it will always be there because there is good and evil in the world. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. under that, you know, the word evil, so many things underneath it, racism being one of them. So, yeah, I think, you know, we, I, I feel like, it, you know, it will be reduced and I feel like there's a, people are speaking up about it a bit more and, but yeah, I don't think it will completely go. I don't think either. But, you know, as much as I do believe that, I do believe that it can be reduced. And I think songs like yours existing in the world would be a very big part of that. So, you know, again, thanks. Seriously. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the more, you know, companies, people, platforms speak out about it, it definitely can be reduced. It just won't be totally eradicated. Um, and that's just something that we, that's why, you know, the work has to just, you have to just keep continuing the work. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Massively. So, yeah, well, okay, thanks, man. This has been so lovely. Like, oh, thank you. You know, it's been a nice chat. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to the New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening. Yeah.